It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Today is Tuesday, October 28th. Yeah, I promised you yesterday we'd have a very interesting show. What's funny is I got most of the show prep for yesterday done today. You know, when I do this, it the hard part is actually narrowing it down. I've got a pile. It's a big pile, and, and you have to wear uh, really, really uh, heavy-duty boots. Yeah, that most of it is a big pile. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so today on Fighting for the Faith, uh, we're going to be talking about the great emergence. Apparently, the emergence is a great thing, and uh, there's a new book out there by the, a gal by the name of Phyllis Tickle. And uh, she's an older woman, and uh, she's written a book called The Great Emergence. And we're going to listen to uh, one of the audio from one of her YouTube videos where she's promoting the U- the Great Emergence and is claiming that this is a movement of God, the emergent and emergent emergent and emerging church movements. And uh, her logic defies logic. <laughs> That's all I can say at the moment. We'll get into it shortly. And then today we're going to we're going to listen to a, just a little bit more of Paul Washer from the Deeper Conference and we're going to pit Paul Washer against Perry Noble. Now, if you don't know who Perry Noble is, Perry Noble is the uh pastor of New Spring Church in uh, and he's he's another guy from the Carolinas. And uh I, I should probably look that up, huh? You know, it's funny is is that you know I I don't do these guys the uh, the service of even caring to look it, it, what it 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 what town they're really from. So I I know that he's the pastor of New Spring. Got that? And uh, in you know, let's see if they list this on his website. New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. Anderson, South Carolina. And so he's down in South Carolina, and uh, he's uh, good buddies with Stephen Furtick. In fact, uh, Perry Noble was doing his thing long before Stephen Furtick started his thing. And uh, Perry Noble and uh, Stephen Furtick talk on a regular basis. I met Perry Noble at the Purpose Driven Community Gathering back at the beginning of the summer. Shook hands with him, said hey. <laughs> and uh, the, the what we're going to do is we're going to pit Paul Washer versus Perry Noble. And we're going to be listening to uh, portions of a sermon that Perry Noble preached last weekend called beautiful me beautiful and uh and what we're gonna what i'm gonna kind of point you to here is uh the offense of the cross is missing but a, a perry is is purposely kind of in your face offensive in other ways and m- my contention at this point is is that he's offensive in the wrong ways he's offensive in you know he's bold in the places where he should be quiet and he's meek in the places where he should be bold and uh, you know that that'll be my critique of him, at least talking about it uh, before we we dive into this. And so uh, we'll be talking about the sermon called "Beautiful," <laughs> and it's a supposedly a sermon series for women. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, it's chock full of scripture twisting and uh, written, uh, misconcepts about what God's really all about and what it is that uh, makes us pleasing with Him. Jesus doesn't really make much of an appearance at all in the sermon, and um, it's it's a, a little bit different. But I'm going to pit Perry Noble against Paul Washer, specifically uh, because uh, Perry Noble wrote a piece um, where you know he, he's he's one of these purpose-driven guys, and he promotes this purpose-driven methodology. And anyone who would dare complain about the fact that he's doing what he's doing. 
he basically dismisses them. And so he actually wrote a piece on his blog called What They Really Mean, dismissing just about all of his critics, you know, just just completely just brushing them aside. Let me read this to you before we get into the Phyllis Tickle thing. So here's uh, Perry Noble from his blog. He says, What They Really Mean. He says, One of the lessons I've learned while being in the ministry for the past 17 years is something is sometimes what people say isn't exactly true. Things such as... And he gives a warning. Here's a warning. He says, you probably won't like this post if you probably, you will probably only like this post if you're a pastor, a staff member, or of a church. He says, so here's what they say. He says, I'm looking for a church that preaches the word. Now, he claims that's code talk. And he says, what they really mean is I'm looking for a church that preaches my view of the word. I think that the blank translation should be used. I think blank should be talked about a whole lot while blank should be ignored. And if you ever stop preaching my view of the word, I'll leave and tell others that you don't preach the word. Now, maybe that's a, a uniquely Bible Belt phenomenon. You know, and having not grown up in the Bible Belt, um, you know, I I can't say that I've really ever spent much time arguing with people who are these King James only people. Now, I know there's a whole King James only cult down in the in the South, and it seems to run through particular Baptist churches. And uh, I mean, call me simple, but, you know, I took Greek and Hebrew can read Greek really well. And um, and every time I translate a passage from the Greek into English, it actually doesn't come out in King James English. It's just I just consider that to be definitive proof that the King James version is not the inspired word of God. Or maybe I'm just not an inspired translator. But there, there's no such thing as an inspired translation, folks. Is the King James an old English yeah, yeah, right. It's, oh, man. So anyway, so now I can get... Uh, uh, Is it a Paul? Perry Noble? I mean, Perry. Perry's from uh, Anderson, South Carolina. Uh, oh, uh, Stephen Furtick. Oh, Paul Washer. Yeah. Now, that's a good question. You know, here's the deal. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where Paul Washer is a pastor. I've seen videos of Paul Washer's sermons on the Internet. And, you know, it. I swear that guy looks like he's the pastor of a very, very small church in a very small town. I mean, his church could probably second as a one-room schoolhouse from Little House on the Prairie. You know, so I, I, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I'll have to look that up and get back with you. Now, so let me continue with Perry Noble's piece here. He says, so he basically says he's looking for a church that preaches the word. And apparently uh, he just translates that as my view of the word. Well, Perry, here's the deal. is I've listened to plenty of your sermons. And as we'll demonstrate today, um, God's word makes very, very small cameo appearances in your, uh, in your sermons. I mean, granted, you're a nice kind of southern guy and you can be you're a good storyteller and all and you got some great advice but um as we'll see in your sermon today uh i don't think that qualifies as actually preaching the word i mean preaching the word actually requires you to read it to explain to people what it means and what i noticed about perry and the way he does his thing is that he proofs he proof texts the bible you know so and this the sermon here is no different. It's, it's not like you know it, the the scriptures really lead what he says. He he has his own ideas about what needs to be said because he's trying to reach out to people, and he just uses the Bible to proof text it. So uh, 
you know, here's the deal, Perry. It's absolutely possible that, yeah, there's some people who are basically saying they want their view of the word. You know, maybe you get some of these dispensational Schofield-only uh, people or King James-only people. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who's criticizing you, Perry, because you don't preach the word um, is has that particular agenda. It just might be that you are not preaching the word. That's – I mean – I know it sounds simplistic, <laughs> you know, hey, shazam, you know, preach the word. I guess that means open up the Bible and tell us what it means. Feed us God's word. He says, uh, he says what they say. Lots of people have been coming to me and saying that they don't, what they don't like is, and then fill in the blank. Here's what they mean. I basically only have three friends and all of them think exactly like me. The other night we were enjoying a time of self-righteousness because after all, we're right about everything. And we were also slandering you in the form of prayer requests and thought that it would be wise to approach you uh, with our pet peeve. We actually talked to no one else and uh, about this, but said lots because we wanted to v- validate our dysfunction. You know, that, that's just not my experience. <laughs> um, maybe somebody doesn't like something because it's a legitimate thing that shouldn't be done. For instance, you know, cussing in the pulpit, that's just, you know. Oh, you know, I know. Perry Noble actually had his praise band play uh, uh, ACDC's Hell's Bells in church. <laughs> he did. I, I, now, we'll, we'll give him some credit here. They actually didn't sing the lyrics. But anybody who's familiar with the song Hell's Bells uh, would have no problem actually pulling up the lyrics from their memory data bank inside of their brain and quietly singing along. Um, So, you know, Perry, you know, when people say what they don't like is maybe they have a legitimate complaint about something that's not right. I mean, that's just a possibility here. Why do we have to demean people and say that they only have three friends? You know, and and somehow tar and feather people, anybody who would have a complaint about somebody else. I mean, it couldn't be legitimate. That's not an option here. Okay. Everyone has an opinion as long as it's Well, where two or more are gathered, there is politics. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea what goes on here is that Perry Noble is pretty much in your face about the way he does things. And he's not apologetic about it whatsoever, and he's not going to uh, change the way he does business for nobody know how. And if you complain about him or say he's not preaching the word, then the problem is really with you, not him, you know, because God has given him a vision for New Spring Church. And how dare you challenge God's vision for New Spring? Ay, ay, ay. All right, we're going to that, that's just kind of a preview of, you know, a Perry Noble. I wanted to get, get you know. When you tell a story, it's good to build characters, you know, and so let Perry build his own character here. All right, we're going to talk about Phyllis Tickle's The Great Emergence, and um, this is a brand new book that's come out from Baker Publishing Group, um, and they've got their own YouTube videos out right now promoting The Great Emergence by Phyllis Tickle, and we're going to listen to Phyllis Tickle explain The Great Emergence to us and, um, and this move of God. She claims that it is, and uh, and wh- how we can tell this is actually a movement from God, and uh, her logic is so amazingly, uh, the leap in logic here is so wide, not even evil can evil could have jumped that chasm. So here we go uh, with Phyllis Tickle. 
The Great Emergence is the name we're giving to the current upheaval that is certainly uh, across all of Western culture uh, and to some extent globally. It tries to name something that happens every 500 years. The Episcopal tradition has a bishop, Bishop Mark Dyer, who says when he gets right here that to understand the Great Emergence, what you really have to understand first is that about every 500 years, the church feels compelled to have a giant rummage sale, and we're having one. Okay. She's uh, she's writing a book about the great emergent, the emergent church and the emerging church. And she's leading off with this idea that every 500 years, the church decides to have a rummage sale. Man, could you? you know, <laughs> yeah, I could use to have one of those right now. Anyway, um, so this is her claim that the, the church has a rummage sale every 500 years. And that's what we're having right now. We're having a big rummage sale. Uh, let's listen to her logic on this one. Absolutely right. 500 years ago was, of course, the Great Reformation of 1517. 500 years before that was the Great Schism of 1051. 500 years before that was the Council of Chalcedon, the Fall of Rome, the Age of Gregory the Great, just to keep the greats going. 500 years before that was what's now being called increasingly the Great Transformation, the change of the eras. If we were a Jewish audience, some rabbi would rise up and say, it's not a Christian phenomenon, it's a Judeo-Christian, because 500 years from the Great Transformation, what we have, of course, is the Babylonian captivity uh, and the end of First Temple Judaism, the birth of Second. 500 years before that, we have the Davidic dynasty out of which Meshua is to come. So the great emergence, it's an every 500 year phenomenon. We're just lucky. We get to live through one. <laughs> oh, lucky us. We're go- we're- we just happen to be around for the 500 year rummage sale. Let's, uh, let's walk through some of these things that she claims happens every 500 years. And, and uh, with just a little bit of thinking, folks, God gave you a brain. I know that it's really tempting and super easy when you get home to turn the brain off, turn on the television and sit there and veg. I enjoy doing that myself from time to time. Okay, but what we just heard from Phyllis Tickle is ridiculous. It's absurd. See, this is a movement of God, and I'll I'll get to that to the later portions of this video in a second, but I just want to unpack this a little bit. Okay, so according to her, the church has a rummage sale every 500 years, and let's walk through these. Phyllis, tell us about this 500-year rummage sale, please. He's absolutely right. 500 years ago was, of course, the Great Reformation of Okay, 500 years ago was the Great Reformation. That was in 1517. Did we have a big rummage sale during the, uh, you know, being a Lutheran, okay, you know, I feel like I'm in touch with the uh, the Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation. By the way, Reformation Day is coming up on Friday. Y'all, forget about Halloween. That's just so passe. That's just so last year. The thing you really want to celebrate is Reformation Day. And the way we did it, we had a big um, Oktoberfest at our church. That was loads of fun. Complete with a puppet show. <laughs> and two accordions. Yeah, and the guy, the, we had a, we had a, one of those, what what was that band? It was a polka band? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, we had two accordions and a bass player that looked like he literally had one foot in the grave. I mean... What was really weird is when you know he was jumping up and down and smashing his bass player, you know, bass against the. Uh, never mind, that was a joke. Okay, so all right, so the Great Reformation was that a rummage sale? 
Now, granted, it was a it was a it was a big event, but the goal of the Reformation was to reclaim doctrines that were lost to reclaim the salvation by grace alone through faith alone through christ alone and if you've spent any time reading the lutheran reformers the one thing that becomes really clear is that those guys spend a truckload of time going back into the writings of the ancient church fathers and saying we're not innovating Here's where the gospel was preached by this church father, by this church father, by this church father. In fact, the best guy that we had back in the time of the Reformation was Martin Chemnitz. That guy was ridiculously fluent in uh, the writings of the church fathers. I mean, he's forgot he for he had he had forgotten more about the church fathers than most people learn in their lifetime. So the Reformation uh, was not about having a fire sale and coming up with something new okay the reformation was about reclaiming the gospel which had been covered up and obscured by several factors one factor being the fact that people were not hearing god's word in their own language god's word was literally locked up in latin okay and unless you were learned and had been taught latin then you had no clue what God's word said. The other, and then what happens when that happens is all these little mythologies creep into Christianity. The uh, cult of the saints, you know, the cult of Mary, uh, monasticism, and all this kind of crazy stuff creeps in. And what, and what happens? People go to, to default mode and they think that they can earn their salvation by works. Right? What does Martin Luther do? He rediscovers in the epistle of romans that salvation is by grace through faith alone by christ alone you can't be saved by works of the law now the reason why this was so earth-shattering is because roman catholicism had ended up had literally ended up for centuries building an entire system based upon works righteousness okay boy i'll tell you if you're trying to save yourself roman catholicism is the way to do it I mean, it's it's more ornate, it's more elaborate, it's more beautiful than anything that that evangelicalism goes on. You know, seriously, it, it's no, it's it's no wonder to me why, for many in evangelicalism, as they become more dissatisfied with the shallowness of of evangelical Christianity, they find themselves being attracted to Rome. It's not a surprise at all. But the thing is, is that it's still a works based religion. Okay, so no, the Great Reformation was not a fire sale. It was a reformation. We've got to reform the garbage that's going on in the name of works righteousness and get back to Christ and the gospel being the center of Christianity. So, Phyllis, uh, no, in fact, the reformers went through great pains to show that what they were teaching was not innovative. It was old and ancient and faithful to the text of Scripture. Okay. 1517, 500 years before that was the Great Schism of 10... Okay, 500 years before the Reformation was the Great Schism. Schism. The Great Schism. Okay, let's... We're going we're gonna to Google this live on the air here. The Great Schism. This is where I think uh, the Eastern and Western churches split, if I'm doing this right. Yeah, that's right. The Great Schism divided medieval Christendom into Eastern... Greek and Western Latin branches. How is that a fire sale? Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm just I'm I'm going to ask the logical question here, Phyllis. Okay, we have two different popes, two different church leaders, excommunicating each other. 
right? And what what happened is is that the church was ripped. It was split between the east and the west. How is that a fire sale? And how was that supposedly a move of God? Right? Okay. So do you think that counts as a fire sale, John? No. Was that was that the emerging thing at the time? Because here's the deal. The East kept doing its thing and the West kept doing its thing, right? Yeah. All right. So, nope, the Great Schism doesn't count as one of these 500-year fire sales. Okay. 51. 500 years before that was the Council of Chalcedon, the fall of Rome, the age of Gregory the Great. Just okay, hold on a second going. here. Hold on. Five- so, hold on a second. <laughs> the Council of Chalcedon. 500 years before the Great Schism was the Council of Chalcedon, the fall of Rome, and Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great was a pope uh, who, who did his... Yeah, okay. <sighs> All right. Just a little history lesson here. Council of Chalcedon. The Council of Chalcedon was literally about definitively dealing with the Nestorian and Eutychian controversies, okay? And the uh, Nestorianism and Eutychianism are, they're really, they're, um, they're heresies. Both of them are. And um, they, they center on false teaching and a false understanding as it pertains to the two natures in Christ, Okay, I nothing personal here, Phyllis, but, you know, I'm bringing this up right now, and it doesn't even make good radio. Okay, you know, talking about Nestorianism and Eutychianism. I've talked about them in the past. And um, how is this a great – how is this a fire sale? This, this was a debate that was raging through Christianity, Nestorianism and Eutychianism. These were debates that were and controversies that were caused as a result of it. People fighting and there being lack of unity. And so the Council of Chalcedon meets in in uh, October, really from October to November of uh, 451 in Chalcedon, which is in Asia Minor, in order to settle these disputes. This doesn't sound anything like the emergent church to me at all, and nor does this sound like a fire sale. You know, the re- reality is, is that just... 125 years before the Council of Chalcedon, we had the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea met to to really take care of and deal with definitively, biblically, uh, with the Arian heresy. The Arian heresy basically denied the doctrine of the Trinity, denied that Jesus was God in human flesh. He was a God, but not equal with the Father in any sense, in way, shape, or form. And so the purpose of that particular Council of Nicaea was to really hammer out the nature of God and, and the Godhead. How come that's not listed as a fire sale? I mean, it's just as much as a fire sale as the Council of Chalcedon. In fact, we got the Nicene Creed, literally, as a result of the Council of Nicaea. I don't confess the Creed of Chalcedon. Do any of you all confess? Is, was there a Creed of Chalcedon? Uh, <laughs> um. I do believe that there was a confession that came out. Uh, the, in fact, here it is, the Confession of Chalcedon, which is a clear statement on the human and divine natures of Christ, basically says this. Following the Holy Fathers, we unanimously teach and confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity, the same truly God and truly man, composed of rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father as to his divinity and consubstantial with us as to his humanity, like us in all things, 
except sin. He was begotten from the Father before all ages as to his divinity and in these last days, and for us and for our salvation was born as to his, as to his humanity of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. We confess that one and the same Christ, Lord, and only begotten Son is to be acknowledged in two natures without confusion, change, division, or separation. Uh, the distinction between natures was never abolished by their union, but rather the character proper to each of the two natures was preserved as they, be, as they came together in one person and one hypostasis. Y'all confess that at church? No. No. But apparently, uh, Phyllis Tickle's pointing to the Castle of Chalcedon as uh, some 500-year event. And uh, like I said, just apply a little bit of brain cells to this thing, and you sit there and go, I don't see it at all. It definitely put the rest of the Nestorian and Eutychian controversies. Hooray. Um, but I don't see anything new coming out of it. And that's the thing is, is that Christianity is not called to bring out new things. Okay. We're called to bring out the old, you know, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whenever there's problems in the church it's always because somebody's decided to be innovative rather than faithful. It's the innovators who are the heretics, not those who are faithful. Keep that in mind. That's always a hard and fast rule, by the way. All right, let's uh, let's continue with Phyllis. Uh, the fall of Rome did the, the fall of Rome. That was apparently an example of a 500 year um, fire sale. So we we decided to sell Rome down the river, right? Yeah, the Christians caused the fall of Rome, right? That was a church thing. Yeah, okay. And then Gregory the Great was. Uh, one of the uh, who was a pope in the sixth century, and uh, I think that's the guy who kind of uh, made Genghis Khan go away. You know, kind of kind of appeased him. I, I I could be wrong on that. I'm doing this from memory. Anyway, so I don't see how well, that any of this stuff counts as a fire sale. Let's see her next example here. Hundred years before that was what's now being called increasingly the Great Transformation. Okay, now the Great Transformation, in case you're not familiar with what that is, you go from polytheism to monotheism within the Greco-Roman culture. The abandoning of uh, Zeus and, and Hermes and, and Athena and all those gods and the cult of, the, of mythology now, that, as we call it, and the adoption of Christianity and monotheism. That's the Great Transformation. Um, how is that a fire sale in Christianity? I think that qualifies as the spread of Christianity, right? Okay. Just something I've noticed. I mean, (sighs) okay. So that the great transformation is not an example of a Christian fire sale. It's an example of the spread of Christianity, the toppling of false gods change of the ears. If we were a Jewish audience, some rabbi would rise up and say, it's not a Christian phenomenon, it's a Judeo-Christian, because 500 years from the Great Transformation, what we have, of course, is the Babylonian captivity. Is the Babylonian captivity an example of a fire sale in, in Judaism? Okay, why were the Jews taken from the land and taken captive by the Babylonians. You know, the Bible actually gives a reason for this. You want to know what the reason is? Idolatry. 
they decided that that following God and his ways and worshiping the Lord and serving him only was so passe and irrelevant, especially when all of your cultural neighbors are worshiping multiple deities like Asherah, Molech, Baal, and uh, false gods like that. So what happened is, is that God made good his promise from the Mosaic law and basically said that they could stay in the promised land only if they obeyed God's law. They didn't obey God's law, so God punished them. The Babylonian captivity is not an example of an emergent anything. It's an example of God's punishment on wicked and sinful man. Fire sale my foot. No way. Uh, And the end of First Temple Judaism, the birth of Second, 500 years before that, we have the Davidic dynasty out of which Meshua is to come. Okay, so then she lists the Davidic dynasty as uh, as another example of, of this 500-year fire sale that you know precedes Christianity and now is in Judaism. Um, anyone familiar with uh, the kings that succeed David? You have David, who's a man after God's own heart, right? Then you got his son Solomon, who's really wise, and I bring that into question just because he had so many wives. Um, Okay, and what does he do? He marries all these pagan women. And what do these pagan women do? Well, pagan women do what pagan women do. They still worship their pagan deities. And so they set up high places and altars to their gods and stuff like that. So syncretism moves into the Davidic dynasty. And God is so mad at what Solomon did that Solomon's successor, his son, he has this, he literally has the kingdom of Israel ripped in two. And he gets like two tribes, and then you got the northern kingdom made up of ten tribes. Is this an example of some kind of great spiritual movement in Israel? Um, Well, if it's a, a great spiritual movement, it's a great spiritual movement into darkness. And 500 years later, God says, I've had enough. And he sends Israel into captivity. In fact, the, the, the ten northern kingdoms... They were practically scraped off the face of the earth. I defy you to find them today. Right? The northern kingdoms fell before the southern kingdom fell. So this is not an example of 500-year fire sales, an emerging thought within Christianity. What Phyllis has basically just sold us is complete hokum. Well, let's continue, Phyllis. So the great emergence, it's an every 500-year phenomenon. We're just lucky. We get to live through one. Where is it going? I don't think anybody knows exactly where the great emergence is going, much less where the Christianity, the emerging or emergent or what uh, Christianity is coming out of it, is going to go exactly. But there's some contours uh, that are, are, are clearly visible right now and can be described. For one thing, this thing is radically Jesus-oriented. It takes the position he meant what he said, uh, which is fairly radical. It is. Why is that radical? <laughs> Unless you're a liberal. I mean, Jesus... How about did Jesus do what he what the Bible says he did? You know, perform miracles, you know, raise people from the dead, heal the blind, the sick, claim to be the one true God. You know, you say that this is radically Christ-centered. The problem is is that the emergent church denies so much of what Jesus accomplished. Specifically, the substitutionary atonement, that Christ died for our sins. Well, let's continue. It's definitely a communal, even to the point that about a quarter of it is probably engaging in, in a form of monasticism, as a matter of fact. Uh, okay, the emer- quarter of the emergent church is engaging in monasticism. 
uh, this is a good thing? How is this a good thing again? Monks go into monasteries in order to do good works, in order to attain perfection in this lifetime so that they can be saved from the fires of purgatory. That's the Catholic view, right? So we're supposed to be celebrating and going, yay, goody, this is a wonderful move of God because now we've regained monasticism? Let me be the first to say uh, no one is saved by their monkery. It's post-denominational, it's post-Protestant, it is uh, largely based in, uh, in virtual reality as opposed to bricks and mortar, and organizes itself on the net. Uh, it is deeply concerned with theologies of religion that uh, get rid of, of Christian particularity or exclusivism. Uh- I gotta just back that up and let her say that again. Let's uh, let's hear what she said just one more time. On the net, uh, it is deeply concerned with theologies of religion that uh, get rid of, of Christian particularity or exclusivism. Uh, it is gets rid of Christian exclusivity, exclusivism, and particularism. You know that nasty little doctrine where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me." If you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. That exclusivity gets rid of that. I thought you just said that Jesus meant what he said, Phyllis. Dipping back ardently, if you will, to first, second and third century to try to find there the passionate parts of the Christian liturgy that sustained um, the church during those dreadful years of persecution and then to incorporate those into itself. So wherever it's going, there's every reason right now to rejoice that God is doing a new thing amongst us, and it's called emerging or emergent Christianity. Why on earth should we believe this is a move from God when she says it seeks to get rid of Christian particularism and exclusivism? (laughs) And uh, her logic here is just... I mean, you have to absolutely be wanting to believe this stuff in order to fall for such a lie. It's that, it's that thinly veiled. Her 500-year fire sale argument is complete garbage. It's not an argument, Phyllis. And uh, telling us that the emergent church is getting rid of Christian exclusivism as a good thing basically tells me that, no, this is not a move of God. It's a move of a different spirit. It's definitely not a move of God. Anyway, you know, but then again, I'm just narrow minded and, you know, and I'm an angry white male. See, that that's my problem is I, I see I'm too modern. I just need to be postmodern. Yeah. Anyway, if you would like to email me and let me know how the emergent church is a move of God, you can do so by writing me at talkback at fighting for the dot com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com and we'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. (laughs) 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. Ah, Christianity. Based on non-exclusivism. You know, Jesus was a really exclusive guy. You know, he claimed to be the God of the Old Testament. You know, Yahweh, the one who said, there is no God but me. He says, is there another Savior? He says, I know of not one. That guy. <sighs> the, the one who, uh, you know, basically argues with the Pharisees and claims to be the God of the Old Testament by saying, before Abraham was born, I am, invoking the divine name of God from Genesis chapter 3, for himself, claiming to be, and they and the Jews got it. They, they picked up stones to stone Jesus. They wanted him dead. In uh, John chapter 10, he makes God, he basically claims that God is his father, and, and they, you know, they get all mad at him, and they say, and Jesus, you know, they pick up stones to stone him again, and Jesus says, for which of these you know, for many great works I have shown you from the Father, these miracles. For which of these are you going to stone me? And they said, for not none of those, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. That pesky Jesus claimed to be God, claimed to be the only one, too. Man, just just not nice. Anyway, we're going to uh, dive into the next segment of our show today, and we're going to listen to a little bit more of Paul Washer. And so this is going to be Paul Washer versus Perry Noble. Perry Noble is a purpose-driven guy who's bought into the seeker-sensitive uh, approach to doing church, and it shows in, his, in the way he does his preaching. And we're going to listen to Paul Washer first ahead of time and kind of get his... Uh, get his take on what's going on in evangelicalism. And he's going to be reading from Ezekiel chapter 37. So uh, I just want to kind of set you up for this. And he's going to be reading about the Valley of the Dry Bones. Now, this is important. Okay, the, the, the passage in Ezekiel regarding the Valley of the Dry Bones is not about evangelism. Okay? So some of you might go, well, wait a second, Paul Washer's twisting God's word. Well, no, actually he's not. But what he's basically saying is, is that it, he's using the passage in Ezekiel as a word picture for helping you understand what evangelism is like. Because Scripture is clear, especially in, the, in Ephesians and in Romans, that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we cannot choose God, and God has to choose us. 
Salvation, literally, if somebody comes to faith in Christ, if they've received faith in Christ, they've repented of their sins and trust now in the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on the cross, that is a miraculous event that occurs. And it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit, not by someone's decision. And so Paul Washer is going to be in Ezekiel here and using this as an example, as a word picture of what evangelism is like. So I just want to set you up ahead of time, and we'll we'll hang on here through uh, to what he talks here. Um, I don't know the name of his church yet. I have to look that up. John keeps saying, "What's his church's name?" Oh, man, well, Google him. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to look. All right, so here's Paul Washer from the Deeper Conference, and uh, this goes for about five-ish minutes, and we'll uh, you'll see what I'm talking about here. Here we go. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them around about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord God, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinew were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe on these, O breath and breathe on these slain and they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they came to life and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. I have just described the conversion of men. When you go out to preach, as we look at this text, you are always an Ezekiel. And you are always standing in a valley of dead bones. And behold, they are very dry. Now, certainly in the time of Ezekiel, there was no technique to bring life into lifeless bone. The marrow had completely dried out of these skeletons. They were nothing but dust. There was no technique. There was no persuasion. There was no power. There was nothing, humanly speaking, that could be done to bring these bones to life. That is evangelism. And you do well to learn it now. That is evangelism. Okay, so Paul Washer here is making the claim that evangelism is exactly like what happened with Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Think of your audience, if you would, as being completely dead, dry bones. Now, it didn't make any sense for God to say to Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. I mean, uh, bones don't have ears, and bones can't hear, right? 
Okay. In much the same way, when we're called as Christians to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that regenerate, uh, that unregenerate man is dead in trespasses and sins and is dead, 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 dead. And you're in evangelism where you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and condemning men of their sins through the law of God, that you are acting prophetically much the way Ezekiel did. That's Paul Washer's point here. But let's continue as he continues. Men are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are not only dead, they are in bondage to sin. What life they have is only life to follow the prince of this air. They are haters of God. They are enemies of God. They are blind. They do everything in their power to restrict and restrain every bit of knowledge that they already possess about God. They work with all their might to close down their conscience so it will no longer speak to them. They would rather suffer in a devil's hell throughout all eternity than bow the knee and repent and believe in your God. All right, that's not very positive stuff there. It just, you know, this is hurting my self-esteem. It's supposed to. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Listen to what he's, how he's diagnosing the problem. Now, I've said before that original sin, what you believe about the doctrine of original sin, what you understand as far as the problem of humanity is going to absolutely impact the way you do ministry and evangelism. And just like a doctor, if the doctor incorrectly diagnoses the problem, he's going to give you the wrong uh, prescription for tackling whatever ails you. Okay, And it's very clear from people who follow the seeker-sensitive model that they don't get this fact, that men are dead in trespasses and sins, are at war with God, and are actively hostile to him, are in bondage to sin, and their desire is to do wicked. Wicked things all the time. Right? They're not going to believe in God. They would rather go to hell than bend the knee. Okay, that's the, his diagnosis. And I think his diagnosis can be backed from Scripture. Let's continue with Paul Washer. Now, go try to learn an evangelism technique to bring them to life. Give long, drawn-out altar calls. Tell all sorts of soupy stories. Manipulate their passions, their emotions, and the only thing you will have is a group of two full sons of hell. For men to be saved, there is only one way, and that is for one man like Ezekiel to step out in the midst of that valley and preach the only message God has promised to bless. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This guy sounds like a Lutheran, but he's a Baptist. Actually, I Googled him, by the way. He's an itinerant preacher, and he's the director of a group called Heart Cry Ministries. He's, and he's, a, he's here stateside after spending many years out on the mission field, you know, so in South America. We continue. When we're looking for missionaries or when we're interviewing candidates, we want one thing. A man who knows... That the ministry is an impossibility. 
that men cannot be converted any more than the dead can be raised and worlds can be brought out of nothing. A man who realizes that he only has a few weapons of warfare, but they are powerful. The preaching of the gospel, intercessory prayer, and sacrificial dying to self-love. Give me men and women like that. We'll see the gospel advance in this world. But the more you depend upon the arm of the flesh, the more churches attempt to grow, not by being biblical, but finding the latest thing to appeal to the greatest number of people. As long as we're doing that, we will never see the power of God. And the church, in its desire to become relevant, makes itself look like a fool in the midst of its enemies. Oh, that is so true. Just visit the Museum of Idolatry and look at all of the lame attempts by Christians to mimic the culture and the pursuit of relevance. The church today in America looks like a six flags over Jesus. Because if you draw people using carnal means, you will have to keep people using carnal means. Now, I want to take the rest of the time that we have, and I want us to look at the basic invitation for men to come to Christ that is most prominent in America today. All right, you've got to listen to this carefully, because if I had a buck for every time I heard a uh, purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive pastor say that, God loves you and has a purpose for your life or has great plans for your life has got the, you know and that that's somehow the Christian call to faith I I'd be a very wealthy man very very wealthy and uh Paul Washer is going to take a swipe at this and it's a pretty good one worth listening to cuz then what we're going to do is we're going to hear Perry Noble offer something very similar to what uh Paul Washer here is biblically taking apart A standard contemporary invitation. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Did he come in when you prayed? Were you sincere? Then you are now a Christian. Welcome to the family of God. This is such a sacred calf, a golden calf. In the evangelical community today, that I am more attacked for this than anything else. But I assure you, this is not biblical language. And it is not found in the greater part of Christian history. This method that we cannot do evangelism without is neither biblical nor historical. And has led us to exactly what we're complaining about. The greater part of the United States of America claims to be born again. And they are not. Ouch. The greatest field of evangelism today is found in church buildings. I don't want to say it's found in the church because everyone in the church is truly converted. But in church buildings. And you say, oh, we have a lot of churches, Brother Paul. No, we have a really... We have a large group of nice brick buildings on beautiful yards. 
But the glory of God has since departed from them, and Ichabod has been written across the door. Now let's look at this invitation. Ichabod, by the way, means the glory has departed. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Many times this is accompanied by an explanation of all that Jesus can do for the person. Fix their life, their marriage, their finances, their self-esteem. So you walk up to what we know about a sinner. He is self-centered. He's autonomous. He wants to do his own thing. He has his own dreams. And he is in love with himself. So you walk up to this man and you say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he goes, what? God loves me? That's fantastic. I love me too. (laughs) Well, this is wonderful. And you're even saying that he loves me more than I love me? Now that sounds impossible. How could anyone have such a great love? And God has a wonderful plan for my life. Oh, I have a wonderful plan for my life too. And you're telling me that if I accept this Jesus, He will help me with all my wonderful plans and I can have my best life now? Yes. Well, then I'll take a God like that. You got two of them? Uh Uh-huh. Ouch, ouch, ouch. I'll take a God like that. You got two of them? Do you see that? Now you say, Brother Paul, it's, it, we don't mean it that way. That's a, but that's the way it's coming out. Now you're saying, Paul, you're being very hard, full of satire. Yes, I am. I am. Well, look, everybody is lamenting the fact that this country believes it's saved when it's no more saved than a... It's as lost, as they say in Alabama, as a ball in tall grass. But no one wants to point to what the problem is. And the problem is, even when we preach the gospel correctly, then we go to this thing of how to invite men that's not biblical or historical. We get them to jump through a few evangelical hoops and say yes to the appropriate questions, and we popishly pronounce them to be saved. And when they believe that false religious lie given by a religious authority, then when someone comes later and tries to preach the gospel to them because they're living in the world, they won't listen. Because a religious lie has so much power. All right, there's Paul Washer. Second segment we've played in two days. All right, now we're going to compare what we've just heard Paul Washer say to, uh, to last week's sermon from New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. Pastor Perry Noble, who is one of the darlings of the Purpose Driven Church movement, he's got his own conference that people attend, and uh, he's the name of the sermon is beautiful. Subtitle: Me beautiful, and it's it's for women. And here's my contention: is is that uh, Pastor Noble has exchanged the offense of the gospel for offensive marketing, and you'll see how in just a second. And we're going to we're going to hear some of these themes. Does he tell people about their sins? Does he tell people about Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness, his sinless life, his atoning sacrifice on the cross and his propitiation of God's wrath against our sinful nature and against us because we're the ones committing the sin and the rescue in Jesus Christ? 
I mean, that's a relevant topic for women, don't you think? That applies to women just as equally as it applies to men. Is he actually going to do law and gospel correctly, or is he going to take God's word, twist it out of context, and tell us a bunch of nice southern boy stories? I bet you can figure out already where he's going to go. So let's dive into uh, the sermon called Beautiful. And this is the beginning of video portion of the sermon. It begins with some interviews about, you know, uh, what's the most difficult part of being a woman? And yes, this was played in a church, and no, this is not exactly appropriate for small children. You're warned now. So let's get going. Here we go. Beautiful. The hardest part about being a woman, that's a tough one. Definitely sitting down to pee. That would be the worst. Boys can take their shirts off when it's hot out and I can't. Going to the gynecologist, that'd be pretty hard. You have your legs up in there and somebody's looking at you. <laughs> and it's really awkward. <laughs> Wearing a bra. Boobs, having boobs. Mood swings one to one. People assume I'm dumb because I'm blonde, which is annoying. Because people don't assume that guys are blonde or dumb. Makeup and all that stuff. Probably cleaning all the time. Jeez. Yeah, tight jeans. It's a hard press. That's got to be up top, getting those, get, getting, getting those things every morning. It's not hard being a woman. All right, that was the opening for the sermon. The tough part about being a woman. Can't even repeat them. All right, here we go. There you go. I mean, that's the series right there. Let's pray. Let's go home. Not hard being a woman. It is, incredibly, it is incredibly difficult being a woman, is it not? Amen. I, listen, ladies, at any time in this message, you feel like amening, you can amen. But for those of you that are married, if at any time you feel like doing this to the man next to you, don't do it. Don't you do it. Because like, he might not be your husband. I mean, and you just don't need to, you don't need to do that. I'm excited that you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, let's go to Psalm 45. Psalm 45. And because this is a women's series, it's going to take some time to get to where we need to go. All right. I'm just doing that in honor of the women. All right. So he's going to base this sermon on Psalm 45, which, by the way, is a love song. Psalm. Okay. (laughs) Amen. There we go. (laughs) Ladies, every one of you in this room has a desire, and that desire is to feel beautiful. Every woman in this room are listening on the internet or are listening to a podcast right now. The thing I know about you is that you would trade just about everything that you've got in order just to feel beautiful. But the thing I know about a lot of women here today is that you don't feel beautiful. Now, you worked on it this morning. You worked on it for a long time this morning, maybe. I'm saying some, not all. But you still don't feel how you're projecting that you look on the outside, you don't feel that on the inside. And I believe it's because many times, ladies, our identity is wrapped up in the wrong things. Now, this is a women's series, but I feel like I need to pull the men in right here. So I'm going to use a football illustration, if you'll allow me. Because i got to make the men fit, because there's too much estrogen in this room. And I know, so we're talking about football. 
Yeah, see, that's one of the downfalls of preaching sermons that um, appeal to only a segment of your congregation. Um, it appeals to only a segment of your congregation. And uh, why is it that we're preaching a sermon about women and uh, and purposely excluding the guys? Yeah, I, I mean, they did a man series earlier this year around Easter, and I basically told women from that congregation they should just stay home. I mean, I mean, why is it the guys are you know this guy's preaching an entire series that kind of excludes at least half? Well, maybe not. I mean. If it's the typical evangelical church, about 35 to 40 percent of the congregation. Hmm. I remember when I was I was a kid, I used to I used to want to play football. That was my goal. That was my dream. It was my desire to play football. But most men, one of the problems that we have is when we talk about our football career, whether it was Pop Warner or whether it was middle school or high school or whatever, we lie and we like to tell people how good we were. I was not good. I was in no way good. I was always the, the I was the fat kid that, that was the last person in on the sprints. All right, they run down there, run back, and the team's practice, and I'm still running back from the the thing, whatever. I could not play. They pl- I played tailback. Get your tail back on the bench. That's where I, I sat. I sat next to the cheerleaders. I know every cheer that our cheerleaders did for the McKissick Indians, and I will not do any of them this morning because the whole spirit fingers freaked me out. Okay. Hey. Anyway. So I remember, I remember I, I didn't play football and I went through middle school, I didn't play football. And I went to, I, went, I finally got to high school in 10th grade. I was like, I'm playing football next year. But I, and, and, and I've told the story many times. I lost a bunch of weight. And that summer, I, I remember I, my sophomore year in high school, I went out for spring practice and the coach, one day I'm leaving. The only thing he said to me is, Noble, you look good today. I think there's hope for you. And that was all I needed. It pumped me up. And I, fi- I began to find my identity in the fact that I was going to play football because I couldn't get a date. But all the football players had dates, and most of them were ugly. So I'm like, if they can get a date, and all they had is a letterman's jacket, I should be able to get a date. I, I, I couldn't get a date. Nobody would pay me attention. So I began to wrap my identity up in playing football, and I felt like I'm going to be something special or someone special if I can just play this game. And so that summer, I, my, my bench press increased at least 50 pounds. I mean, I was running steps. I was doing everything because I had a dream. I wanted to help easily high school win a state championship. <laughs> And I wanted to go to Clemson because I just wanted to run down the hill. And I, I had nightmares about running down the hill. I was always afraid that I would run down the hill and trip and fall. And then, like, the whole team's kind of falling over me and, and it would be on TV. So anyway, I just wanted to run down the hill, lead Clemson to four consecutive national championships, graduate from college. That wasn't funny. And graduate from college and then go on to play for God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. And, and I, I, that's, that's what I wanted. Some of you are like, you've always... Who's he preaching about? Uh, yeah, that would be... Uh... Perry Noble. Perry Noble preaching about Perry Noble. And yet he says that uh, that those who complain to him about they want a church where God's word is preached, they've got an agenda. Just wanted to get in that little dig because, you know, I'm an angry male. By the way, um, Psalm 45, just, you know, while I was listening to Perry Noble here, finished up a little bit of <clears throat> research on this particular psalm. Psalm 45 was actually a wedding song for one of the sons of David. So one of the sons of David is getting married, and, and David wrote, you know, this song, psalm, to the choir master, according to the lilies of Maskil, the sons of Korah, a love song. So the psalm here, Psalm 45, is written as a wedding song, 
Okay, so you, you've got the the king, you know, the there's this royal thing going on and this beautiful bride thing going on. And what's interesting here is that as you read it, um, the, the 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 crossover here really is is from from Davidic king to Christ the true king, from the you know this earthly king to the heavenly king and his bride, which is the church. I mean, it's a beautiful psalm when you when you look at it through the lens of Christ. Um, wait till you see what Perry does with this. Anyway, let's let's continue because I just love hearing about. By the way, Perry Noble is actually one of the most influential guys in the whole purpose driven movement. So you're you're seeing the purpose driven thing at its best. And not only that, all the young church planters out there that you know are trying to plant churches and have their church literally in a trailer during the week and then set up in a movie uh, theater down in the south, uh, you know, every Sunday, they want to be like Perry Noble. They this he's one of their idols. Okay, so this is like the best. This is some of the best that church planting and purpose drivenism has to offer, as far as their their movements go. Always dream big. I have always dreamed big. So the, I remember that summer I worked as hard as I could because my identity. Now I told everybody I'm gonna play football. I'm gonna play football. I'm gonna play football. I'm gonna play football. My identity was wrapped up in that. So the day before football practice started that summer, summer camp as you call it, football players call it, like to refer to it as oh hell. The day before that started, I went out to my friend's house on a Sunday afternoon. We're gonna eat. It's like one of those southern uh, Sunday afternoon deals and all the food and everything so we're out in the backyard we're throwing the football and my friend threw the football to me and I, it was over my head i jumped up in the air to catch it i come back down and my ankle went all the way under me and tore every ligament in my ankle and I, I never will forget on the way to the hospital i cried i cried because the very thing i had wrapped my identity up in was taken from me for the next month, I couldn't run, I couldn't exercise, I couldn't do anything because my ankle was so messed up. It probably would have healed sooner had I not tried to go run five miles a week after the injury. I never claimed to be smart. My identity was wrapped up in something that ultimately was not going to bring me joy, but because that's where my identity was, it left me feeling empty, depressed, and frustrated. There's some ladies here this morning just like I wrapped up my identity in football, you've wrapped your identity up in a lot of different things. And listen, ladies, listen. I know there's a lot of you here this morning. Single, married, doesn't matter. You don't feel beautiful. You want to feel beautiful. Husbands, in fact, let me tell you this. The woman wants to feel beautiful. She wants to be told she's beautiful. Lucretia lectured me on this about a year ago. She was like, she, she had to sit me down in love and say, Sometimes you tell me I'm cute. I don't like cute. She said, in fact, I don't even like pretty. I said, what do you like? She said, beautiful. She said, when you tell me I'm beautiful, it does something for me. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) I've got a nickname for her now. Beautiful. I mean, I'm serious. She wants to feel beautiful. Beautiful. But the reason a lot of women do not feel beautiful is because you've wrapped your identity up in around six things. And let's list these, all right? Number one, appearance. Women will try hard to look good. All right, so at this point, uh, I guess the big problem here that we're dealing with is not sin. And we're not dealing with sin. We're dealing with uh, people who are wrapping up their identities in the wrong things. 
Uh, Pastor D'Onofrio, you're here. Uh, what do you wrap your identity up in? The American flag. The American flag. That's very patriotic of you. John, what do you wrap your identity up in? Dodgers. Dodgers. See, I, I wrap mine up as, in Twinkies. <sighs> I didn't realize bacon was an option. Yeah, well, yeah, well, bacon can be an option. You can wrap yourself up in bacon if that's what your self-identity is wrapped up in. So uh, Pastor Noble here, just so you know, is going to be listing out six different things that women wrap up their identities in. And uh, apparently that's the big problem. Sin isn't the problem. It's what you wrap your identity up in. And a lot of women have learned the false formula. More makeup, less clothes equals more attention. Now, it'll bring you attention. But it brings you the wrong attention. There's a lot of women that you think... If, no, that's crazy talk. If I can just get the right dress, get the right... And, and that's, that's why some women shop and you shop like crazy and you come home and tell your husband about all the money you saved. And your husband's going, I, I don't... You spent that... I don't... Okay, so he, he don't understand that and he never will. That's why a lot of... Like a lot of women, the next hair color... You feel it's going to make you feel beautiful. And you done went through the box of crayons. <laughs> Seriously, you ought to call Crayola and try to get a job. Now, some of you are like, he went off on hair color. I'm going to go off on hair coloring. Praise God for hair coloring. Praise God. But the problem is, some of you ladies, you fall into the trap of thinking, when, I, when my hair gets that color, I'm going to feel beautiful. When my hair gets that length, I'm going to feel beautiful. If I could get my hair to do what she gets her hair to do, I would feel beautiful. Okay, notice that at this point, the problem is, is that uh, you women don't feel beautiful. And this is the, the Christianity is supposed to be offering the solution to helping you feel beautiful. Right? I mean, because everybody knows that Christianity is all about feminine issues and making women feel uh, beautiful. Well, tell you what, we're going to take a quick break, and, we'll, and we're going to fast forward the sermon a little bit so that we can get to the scripture part of it, because he goes on pretty much shucking and jiving like this um, for another 20 minutes before he really gets into the scripture passage. And so far, um can't say that he's really preaching about Christ or anything that's biblical, but, uh, you know, hey, it's making people feel good, and that's all that matters, right? I mean, just making people feel, making a difference in the world. So uh, that's Perry Noble making a difference in the world. So uh, we're. Uh, if you would like to email me and uh, let me know about your women's issues and how you don't feel beautiful and how Christianity needs to solve that problem for you, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. 
Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the Whitehorse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Rosebro, your servant in Christ. My job. The way I serve you is by dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment, challenging the current sacred cows. In fact, I enjoy slaughtering them, slitting their throats and letting them bleed out. Well, that's a graphic image, isn't it? (laughs) No sacred cows are safe here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, we're uh, in the middle of doing a sermon review from Perry Noble. Uh, he's the uh, pastor of New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, and one of the bright and shining stars of the purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive movement. And uh, he's talking about women, and we, we fast-forwarded the audio just a little bit because uh, he, like I said, kind of waxes eloquent in the, kind of that southern uh, conversational tone. But uh, he's giving a lot of advice but not really at this point. Uh, I've, you know, we haven't really heard any scripture. But he'll get to it. Don't worry. From Psalm 45, that's that love psalm, you know, that uh, David wrote for his son who was getting married. Anyway, uh, we'll see how he applies it. So just to kind of sum things up for the first segment of the sermon, you can go back online if you want to listen to the whole thing. You can. And uh, I'll put a link up to New Springs Church uh, website at fightingforthefaith.com so that you can see it. But uh, apparently women seem to wrap up their identities, and this is the big problem that women now face, apparently. It's not their sin. It's that they're wrapping their identities up in things like their appearance, the house, kids, relationships, career, and religion. Okay, so those are the six things that they're wrapping their identity up in, and apparently the solution here is to put your identity in the right thing. But uh, we'll see how this all plays out. So um, here we go those things are going to be perfect. All those planets are going to align. One day I'm going to feel pretty and my house is going to be where I want it to be and my kids aren't going to fail the spelling test and my husband's going to love me or that guy's going to pursue me and I'm going to have the job and I'm going to work with perfect people and I'm going to feel good enough to fit in with the godliest ladies that I know. That sounds like uh, he's painting the picture of a woman who wants to be one of the Stepford wives. Hmm. And that's never going to happen but you've wrapped up your beauty 
based on that list. So I think maybe we should just go to Scripture and change the list. Oh, there's an idea. Keep in mind, I fast-forwarded this tape about 20 minutes. We're finally going to get to that Psalm 45. Woo, we're going to change the list. See, the, the reason why you don't feel beautiful is because you've wrapped up your beauty in the wrong things. Because if that don't work, there is something in Scripture that does work. And this morning, I just want to take some time, ladies, to ask you to ask yourself three questions. These are good for the men, too, but the women will get a lot more out of this. I want you to ask yourself three questions when it comes to where you define your standard of beauty. We're going to write some of these questions down, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Number one, the first question you need to ask yourself, ladies, is this. Who do I listen to? Who do I listen to? Uh, apparently, you listen to Pastor Perry Noble, which probably is ill-advised. Because here's the thing I've discovered. If we listen to the wrong people, we will always make wrong decisions. Amen. That's why you shouldn't be listening to this guy. <laughs> if we listen to the wrong people, we will always make wrong decisions. And some of the ladies in this room listen to the wrong people, therefore make wrong decisions. In fact, there's some ladies in this room. That wrong decisions. You know, they make wrong. Where's sin? Remember, this is Paul Washer versus Perry Noble. I mean, Paul Washer was pretty forthright about the fact that when we're evangelizing, when we're preaching and we're teaching, we got to rail against people's sins and, and preach the gospel because the gospel is the only way we'll see the power of God. Right. And. Uh, wrong decisions. Is that a euphemism? This morning, if I can just be as honest as I know how to be, you're being pushed or pulled into situations that you don't want to be in. That at one time in your life, you looked at the lifestyle you're living now and you said, I'll never live that way because that way is not the what I want to be. But you're being pushed in that direction or you're being pulled in that direction all because you want somebody to tell you you're beautiful. All because you want to feel deep inside your heart somewhere that you are good enough, that you are beautiful. And we wind up listening to the wrong people. Um, so the problem here is that women are looking for beauty and they're seeking affirmation in the wrong places. It has has anyone stopped to think that maybe the problem is is that they're seeking affirmation for the way they are and rather than being confronted with what they are as being ugly and sinful? I mean, am I out of line here, guys? I'm being insensitive, apparently. Women don't stone me, but uh, you're sinners too. And uh, your desire to want people to affirm you actually confirms that fact. I don't want anybody to push me into something that I don't want to be involved in. This Man, this came true for me several weeks ago. I was in Hollywood, California, which is definitely not Anderson, South Carolina, walking up and down the streets of Hollywood. I, listen, people just need Jesus. That's all I'm going to say. I met Satan. He was walking down the street. I'm serious. There was a guy dressed like Satan. He was ripped up. He had on a red vest, a thong. With fishnet over it. That's standard California fare right there. So I'm like, well, what'd you say to him? I didn't say a thing to him. You know what I'm saying? So, dog? No. I mean, I didn't know what to say to him. And he looked at me and smiled and hissed. And that freaked me out a little bit. But this guy with a hip-hop CD came up to me and said, um, I, I was trying to go in a store. He goes, hey, man, come here, come here. And I didn't want to come here. And I was like, no. He was like, no, come here. And I was like, fine, whatever. And I get over to him. He goes, you want to hear my CD? I said, not really. He's like, no, nah, man, you want to hear it. I was like, oh, okay, fine, let me, let me hear it. They played it for me. It was decent. I mean, it wasn't good. It was like, doom, 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 doom. I was like, okay, this, this is good or whatever. And I took it. He goes, you want a CD? I was like, not really. 
He's like, no, take one. And I was like, okay. And I took it and I didn't know. I was figured, you know, put them in the microwave for a little while and they kind of shoot all kind of sparks and stuff. And I, Lucretia doesn't know I do that. So anyway, I was like, okay. And I didn't want a CD. I didn't want to listen to it. He keeps telling me and pressure. And there's all these, all his friends are standing around him. And I was walking away. He goes, hey, how about a donation? So I beg your pardon. He said, how about a donation? I said, I ain't giving you any money. I said, you asking me for money? He said, yeah. I said, I'm not giving you any money. Is this story in the Bible anywhere? You familiar? The, the Gospel of Noble? Uh, was that, uh, second Noble. Said, how am I supposed to feed my family? I said, how am I supposed to feed my family? If I give you the money, I can't go feed my family with it. And he looked at me and said, if you're not going to give me a donation, I'm going to have to ask for that CD back. I didn't want him to push me into an air. I didn't want to give him any money. I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to listen to a CD. Honestly, I didn't want to take that. I went that far, but there was a line where I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Ladies, there's got to be a line in your life where you say, I've let culture define me for long enough, and I'm not going to do this anymore. Look at this. The Bible says this in Psalm 45, verse 10. All right, finally, the Word of God, Psalm 45, verse uh, verse, uh, verse 10. And, uh, he hasn't told us nothing about what this verse is about. I told you, by the way, you didn't get that from him. I told, I'm the one who told you this was a Psalm written for the wedding of one of the sons of David. Okay. Let's, you know, <clears throat> listen, O daughter, listen, O daughter, consider and give ear, forget your people and your father's house. Listen, O daughter, and give ear. Listen, O daughter, and give ear. I need to talk about that because the Bible right there, God is saying, here's the deal. Ladies, God is saying, here's the deal. I want you to listen to me. I want the voice of your heavenly father to come over. I want the voice of your heavenly father to go through every voice that's in your life. Every magazine you're reading, every television show you're watching. God's going, I want you to listen to me because I have something that I want to say to you. Now, every woman, or many women in this room, here's the problem. You're like, I don't want to think of God as a father. Boy, he got a lot out of that verse, didn't he? I mean, just rip it out of context and you can say whatever it means, whatever you want it to mean. You know, Psalm 45, verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house and the king will desire your beauty since he is your Lord. Bow to him. <laughs> um, did, okay. Is that what I mean? He just said that Psalm 45, 10 is... God telling women that he wants them to stop listening to the voices of the world and to listen to him. Uh, Pastor D'Onofrio, I mean, is is that what that passage said? No. No, eh, that's... Okay, just want to make sure, you know, that I wasn't just making that up. Um, that's kind of a problem there. Uh, taking a Bible verse out of context and proof texting it for the thing that you're teaching, that isn't preaching God's word. Well, let's continue. And the reason why is because you had a bad dad. Let me just say to the men in this room, I want you to listen to me. Those of you that those of us with daughters, we should make it our goal to live such a godly life that when somebody talks to our daughter about having a heavenly father, it's not a stretch for her to figure that out. But some of you are like, Perry, I don't want to think about God as my dad because my, my dad wasn't around. 
My dad was absent. My dad loved his job or my dad loved his friends more than he loved mama and me. And and he was never there and he didn't provide for us and he didn't step up. And so if I imagine God as my father, when I need him the most, he's not going to be there for me. Some of you are like, Perry, I had an abusive father. And I'm not even going to talk about the things that my dad did to me. He abused me. And Perry, if I think of God as a father, there's going to be a point in my relationship with him when he comes in and he begins to abuse me and he begins to smack me around. And I don't want that. And so I'm just going to keep God at a distance and I don't even want to listen to him. Uh, That sounds like group therapy. Yeah, at this point. I mean, can you just proclaim the word and let God, the Holy Spirit actually do what God, the Holy Spirit does? Why are you trying to help the Holy Spirit out here, Perry? Some of you ladies in this room, you're like, I had the father that it just wasn't good enough. I couldn't do anything to please him. I couldn't do anything to satisfy him. If I brought home a B, he yelled at me that it should have been an A. If I brought home an A, he yelled at me that it should have been an A+. If I brought home an A+, it was it should have been, that it, it, or it better stay an A+. And if it don't, you're going to get in trouble. And no matter what I did, my father never affirmed me. My father never told me I was beautiful. My father never told me that he loved me. And if I begin to view God as, as a father, then I'm never going to be good enough for him. That's where, that's where some of you are this morning. And it's because you don't understand who the Heavenly Father is. Let me explain. All right, this is, okay, now we're getting into uh, some meat here. He's basically saying that uh, if I view God as a father, then I'm never going to be good enough for him. Oh, this will be a perfect segue for sin and the gospel. I mean, think about it, okay? If God is my father, then I'm never going to be good enough for him. Well, we could talk about the uh, the parable of the uh, prodigal son at this point. There's a father, right? We could talk about Christ and his mercy. We could talk about how God in human flesh, that's Jesus Christ, was perfect for us and gives us his righteousness. That would be a perfect segue here. I mean, wow, we could I mean, just unpack this. We got all kinds of gospel potential here. All kinds. But let's see what he does with this imperfection thing. Something to you, ladies. I want you to listen to me. The thing that you used to sit around and wish your father was, our Heavenly Father is, and so much more. Okay. He is the father that you wished you would have had. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, come on, come on, come on, Perry. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. Bring, let's talk about sin and Christ and what he's done. He's the dad that will never abuse you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. And he will love you because of who you are and not what you do. Ouch. Man, he was doing so well and then he biffed it. Who are we? We're sinners. We're sinners, Perry. Sinners. God doesn't love me for who I am. Um, because that would be like God saying he loves a sinner. Christ loves me for the sake of Christ. Because Christ was perfect for me, for you, because we're sinners. Hello, Perry, sin. You might want to look it up. It's, it's actually biblical. That's a father that we can trust. And he's saying, listen to me. Ladies, listen, if you listen to culture... You're never going to feel good enough. If you, if you look at the magazines <laughs> in the magazine rack, you're like, I don't measure up. Not understanding. She's not real. She was created by Adobe Photoshop. She's not real. Some of you look at ladies going, oh, Martha Stewart. She cooks so well. She does time good, too. 
Well, Oprah, Perry, Oprah's got it together. Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. A couple things you got to, I'm not, some of y'all know, don't you get, don't, don't you go off on Oprah. I'm not going off on Oprah. I'm just saying, you know why it looks like she's got it all together? She ain't married. She don't have kids. And she's got an entourage that travels with her everywhere and takes care of her every need. Now, women, how godly could you be? If you weren't married, you didn't have kids, and you had an entourage to cater to your every need. Uh, you know, Perry, uh, Oprah denies Christ. She follows the New Age teachings of Eckhart Tolle. Um, she's pretty much abandoned Christianity, I mean, and uh, attacks biblical Christianity. I mean, we could talk about that here, too. But then that might get that thorny issue of sin. And notice he was really offensive, you know, in that opening video. You know, that was really cutting edge and racy and, uh, you know. But uh, no, we're not going to do that with the gospel. The offense of the gospel has gone here. You still wouldn't be happy. And apparently happiness is the important thing, right? See, your problem is you're not happy. And God's come to solve your happiness problem. There'd still be a void. That's why God's going, you've got to listen to me. Hey, see, here's the deal. Ladies, God wants the absolute best for your life. Some ladies in this room, you... Really? God wants the absolute best for my life. Paul says, you know, I feel like my life is being poured out by, like a drink offering. Huh. So apparently, you know... You, you just listen to God and you can have the best. You can be happy. You can feel beautiful. You think of God, God, God's against me. Listen, if God was against you, you wouldn't be here this morning. God is for you. God wants you to have the best, not the worst. That's why the Bible says, listen, oh daughter. Psalm 45, listen, oh daughter. God is teaching me so much through my daughter. I was feeding her the other day. Oh, my. Ah, so we've made scant use of that verse. And by the way, that verse, it, 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 he's not even quoted the entire sentence. We're like, at this point, it's not even a full thought. Yeah, whole sermons. Well, so far, it, well, remember, this is some of the best that Purpose Drivenism has to offer. This guy has a conference that people go to. He's worshipped by the church planner kids. My gosh, I learned. So I'm feeding her. And I don't know if you have a kid, but you understand when you start feeding a kid, when you get done feeding the kid, there's going to be enough, there's going to be more food on the floor that actually made it into his or her mouth. I mean, there's enough food on the floor to like you scrape it up and usually have a second meal. That's what we usually do. We don't do that anyway. So I'm feeding, I'm feeding Karis, and she got macaroni and cheese, and and her big thing right now is bread. She loves bread. Like we'll sit down, and she's like bread, 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 bread. And we're, you know, we're giving her bread, and we're trying to cut. But anyway, she loves bread, and so we've, I fed her this meal, and I got her up out of the high chair, and I put her to the side of the high chair, and I'm cleaning up the high chair, and I turn around, and she's she's eating crumbs off the floor. I mean, she's on the floor, both hands picking up crumbs, shoving them in her mouth. It broke my heart. It broke my heart as a dad, and I kind of picked her up, and I was like, I cleaned all the crumbs. I was like, honey, 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 you don't eat crumbs. My little girl don't eat crumbs. Do you understand that I've got some stuff in the refrigerator that you hadn't even seen yet that I could give you so much more than the crumbs? Stop focusing on the crumbs and start expecting the feast from your dad. It broke my heart that she wanted the crumbs. Some of you girls here this morning, especially you single girls, you satisfied with the crumbs. All right, pay attention here. Um, this will be a perfect place where we can talk about sin and our need for a Savior and our wickedness and our wretchedness before God as a result of our sin and what Christ accomplished on the cross. This will be a perfect place to do this.
Okay, watch what he does with this. You're dating a chrome. <laughs> Sitting next to him right now. All crusty and dried up. By the way, the boy that gets that you're getting mad right now, you a crumb. You wouldn't say that to my face. I'd say it to your face and smile. What you gonna do? Crumb? Why would you settle for a crumb? If you're a girl in this room, you're single, you know you you know you settled for some crumbs. Why would you settle from what's fallen from the table when your father could provide you a feast? Why would you settle for that? See, it's all because you just don't think enough about yourself. You just don't realize just to... You don't have to... Listen, if you're a daughter, you don't settle. Girl, you do not settle for crumbs. Now, some of you are here going, what if I'm married to a crumb? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that next week. I wouldn't miss it. There's some men in here going, I'm not coming next week. Hey, crumb, you better get here. Tell her how to handle you, all right? Where'd you learn that? My wife's been married to a crumb for eight and a half years. I just wrote down what she's learned. Let me say this. There's some of you women in this room. You're living with a crumb. All right, here we go. They're living with a crumb. Some of you women in this room, you're living with a crumb. Uh, Perry, uh, <clears throat> if they're living with a crumb, wouldn't that make them fornicators? You know, sinners? They're sinning. They're sinning against God if they're living with a crumb, right? Sin, sin, sin. You ever heard of it? Sin. Wretched, wicked, evil, sin. He's not dedicated to you. All he wants from you is what he can get from you. And if you cut that off, he would drop you like a bad habit. You don't believe me? Go home and try it. A man, listen to me, a man will say I do and then he will. But the crumb says I might. How is he handling sin here again? Um, oh, he's completely avoiding that thorny little issue and trying to give you good advice to get you to make a better decision. Is that what Jesus Christ came to do was give you better advice? You know, come on, you just don't think. Come on, girl, you need to think better of yourself. What you doing settling for crumbs? Come on, you can have some meat. Maybe one day. If you're lucky. You say, Perry, you calling it out? I'm calling it out. Uh, no, really, you're not calling it out. If you were calling it out, then you would actually level them with the law. Come on, Perry. The problem here is that people don't need better advice. The problem is, is that we're all wicked and wretched sinners in need of a savior. Did Christ come to be our therapist or did he come to be our savior to propitiate God's wrath? Where is sin in this, Perry? I'm sorry, but you're not calling it out. That's ridiculous calling it out i'm sorry i'm calling you out perry and if you're a man in this room you commit to her or you quit don't play games to inflate your incredibly weak male ego 
with a woman's heart and her soul and her mind. She is a daughter of the king and deserves to be treated better than, hey, why don't you just come and live with me and we'll just see what happens. Oh, so she deserves better. That's the whoo. Mufasa. Wah. Yeah, I'm shivering all over. Come on. You take those two young people or the young, the young people who are doing that, who are in your church that morning, and you let them know about the righteousness of God and the righteous demands of God's law and how it has nothing to do with the girl deserving better or whatever. It has everything to do with them literally breaking the holy and righteous commands of a holy and righteous God who's going to come back in glory to judge the living and the dead, and that will be a day of wrath for all of these sinners unless they are covered by the blood of Christ through faith and receive forgiveness from him because of what he did on the cross. Good night. Why don't you step up and be a man and commit to her and then see what happens? Okay, so they step up, he steps up, commits to her, and they're still in their sins. And going to hell, by the way, Perry, going, you know, people are in your church, they're going to hell. Have you ever thought about that? Hell, hello, hell. The Bible says, listen, O daughter. <sighs> Out of context. God's going, I got something to say to you. And you are a daughter of the king. Uh, no, you aren't. You're not a daughter of the king. I don't care how well-meaning you are. You are not a daughter of the king unless Christ has granted you repentance and you've received the forgiveness of sins and you trust by faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. If you're just trusting in this good advice to make your life better, then you ain't a Christian and you ain't no daughter of the king. You are still of your father, the devil. You are worth more than crumbs. Uh, granted, worth more than crumbs because Christ paid for your life on the cross which leads to the second question what does god think about me okay this would be a great place to talk about sin here what does god think about me now some of you are like i don't want to know and the reason the, the person in this room that don't the lady especially that doesn't want to know what god thinks about them is that you probably got a church background and you've been nothing but beat up and told how you were not good enough Oh, yeah, you have a church background, and you went to a church that actually said you're a sinner. Do you think by avoiding the topic, Perry, that somehow, you know, you think you just hide it? You know, they're eventually going to figure this out. I mean, they'll get into one of their women's Bible studies, and there will be a passage that talks about God's righteous demands. So why are you hiding it right now rather than proclaiming it? There's been a serious misunderstanding. I have a friend that lives in Texas. He called me one day. He said, I'm mad at you. I was like, why are you mad at me? He said, you almost caused me to get a divorce. I'm like, bro, how did I do that? Man, I didn't do anything like that. It was back in 2005. And we, we were doing a series here at New Spring Church called IHateMyMarriage.com. We had billboards all over the place, IHateMyMarriage.com. And uh, it, it got a little bit of, of media attention and um, got a lot of attention on the, on the Internet. And so he was, um, he does some work with us from time to time. And so he pulled up our church and said, I hate my marriage.com. And he's like, oh, wow, it's late at night. He's like, I don't have time to really investigate that. He said, but I need to write that down so I remember it. So on a pad of paper next to his computer, he wrote down, I hate my marriage. 
Got up the next morning, kissed his wife goodbye, and she kissed him. Good to see you. He's, he's gone all day long. Comes home at 5 o'clock, 5.30 or whatever, walks in the door. And men, do you know what it's like? Those of you that are married, don't amen out loud. Just kind of mm with me a little bit internally. You know what it's like when you walked in the house and things are not good and you know that you did it, but you don't know what you did? The thing you do right there is you just start apologizing. See, most men, here's the problem, here's the mistake we make. We try to fix it. We're like, as soon as I find out what's wrong, we'll fix it. And you can't fix it because she's been thinking about it all day. It's going to take at least four months for her to get over that. So you just might as well. Well, that's true. Say, I'm sorry. So he's like, I don't know what's wrong. Sat down at the dinner table. You ever had this? So how was your day? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. I got to get these kids to bed. So at like 5.15, it's like, all right, kids, you're going to bed. What? He gets the kids up and, you know, and they finally got the kids to bed and came in the living room and she just looked at him and she just started crying. Tears pouring. He's like, what have I done? She's like, you hate, you hate our marriage. He's like, no, I don't. He said, she said, no, you wrote on a piece of paper. I hate my marriage. And he said, I just busted out laughing. (laughs) Which was not the thing to do. That must be in Third Noble. And that's that other lost book of the Bible. (laughs) Complete misunderstanding. See, there's some ladies here, and you're like, I don't want to know what God thinks about me because you misunderstand. You've read the wrong things on the pieces of paper maybe that the church has tried to pass down to you um, maybe when you were a teenager and now you're not a teenager anymore. Maybe some of you are teenagers, and you're like, I don't want to know what God thinks about me. I'm probably not good enough, or I don't measure up. Listen. Great opportunity to share the gospel. Maybe I'm not good enough, and maybe I don't measure up. Right. You don't. Nobody does. We're all sinners. We're all leveled by sin. All of us are wretched and wicked sinners before a righteous and holy God. Um, let's see how he tackles this uh, issue. There is a verse, ladies, that if you hear anything that I say, I want you to hear this today. There's a verse in the scriptures that define how God feels about you as a woman. He said, I want you to live. Um, so apparently he's going to avoid the thorny issue about not measuring up, stick his head in the sand and uh, look to another verse out of context to claim something about God. Listen to me. And the reason I want you to listen to me is not because I want to tear you down. I want to build you up. And he says this in verse 11. I don't want to tear you down. I want to build you up. But see, the thing is, we got to tear people down with God's law because that's what God's law does. And we got to build them up with Christ in the gospel. Uh, He has to put a man down to lift up a woman. Yeah, he did that. I agree. He did that. This, This is F. Look at this. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Uh, that's Psalm 4511, section A, ripped from context. And see, he's just used this verse. He says people don't want to know what God want, uh, thinks about them because they think they might not be good enough or measure up. He says, and no, 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 no. You women, you need to understand what God thinks about you is found in Psalm 4511A. This is not even a sentence. It's a particle. Okay. It's a part. It's a part of a sentence. And uh, the he read it and he says, the king is enthralled with your beauty. See, that's what God thinks about you. He doesn't think you don't measure up. Don't worry about that sin thing and about the fact that you continue to screw up and God's righteous law demands perfection from you and you don't measure up and therefore you are exposed as a sinner. No, 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 no. Psalm 4511a, the king is enthralled with your beauty. Ah, see, that means God loves you and wants the best for you. 
Let me read it in context. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king will desire your beauty since he is your Lord. Bow down to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king with her virgin companions followed behind her. This is a wedding psalm. And it's a picture of the of the wedding feast of the Lamb, the King being Christ. So Perry Noble has completely dodged the sin issue. Every lady in this room, I want you to look at me right now. Every lady, right here, right here, right here. The King is enthralled with your beauty. The Creator of the universe, almighty God, is enthralled with your beauty. Enthralled, that word means to be held captive by, spellbound. Have you ever seen something that you just couldn't stop looking at? I remember a couple of occasions I saw... That's right. God is driving down the street in in your local small town in his El Camino, and he sees you ladies going, Hoo-wee! Dang, girl, I'm enthralled by your beauty. Come on over here and ride with me in my El Camino. You like the AstroTurf I've got in the back of my truck? This is ridiculous. He's reading a passage out of context and telling you lies about what God thinks about you. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God impossible if you do not trust in christ for your salvation then you are still in your sins and the wrath of god remains on you i don't care how pretty you are god is not going to sit there and go oh darling i was enthralled with you from the beginning and that's okay we'll just take a pass on all those sins that you've committed and and see i understand that the reason why you were sleeping with your boyfriend and living with a crumb is because you didn't realize your worth but now you should understand your worth and that's okay that's okay a sunrise one time and it just captivated me it held me spellbound i I couldn't stop looking at the sunrise it was one of the most beautiful things i'd ever seen I remember when Lucretia and I got married and the doors of the church opened up and she walked down the aisle dressed in white. I just, it, I just couldn't stop looking at her. But the one that sticks out the most to me in this passage, since we're talking about daughters, is when my little girl was born. Now, now to most people, she probably wasn't beautiful. You heard me say it before, it looked like E.T. <laughs> Head all pushed down. I was like, that girl's never going to be able to wear a hat. <laughs> That's just an oval, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I... They took her over and they cleaned her up. Folks, I want you to know something. She was my daughter, and I could not stop looking at her. That's great. The problem is, uh, Perry, you're not dealing with people's sins. You're not telling them the truth about their standing before God. In the in the attempt to be seeker-friendly and and take the edge off the gospel, you've traded the offense of the cross, the offense of the gospel, of Christ crucified for our sins, for this stuff. Platitudes taken out of context from the Bible. Can't save people, and it won't save people. As a result, there will be some who will be in hell 
even though they've attended this church on a regular basis. It's very sad and very, very tragic. Well, we've come to the end of our program today. If you would like to email me with uh, your thoughts on what I've said here, this review, Phyllis Tickles stuff, things you heard Paul Washer say, email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you.